I uh, want to continue our, our series on Christmas and the impossibility of everything that was taking place, but how God makes the impossible possible. Um, last week we talked about dreams, and we looked at a, at a man who, who really, we don't know anything before or after, we just find him in the Christmas story, his name is Simeon, and we find that he had a dream that one day the Savior was coming and that he wouldn't die until he came, and, and he held fast to that dream even when it probably seemed doubtful, and he stuck to it, and in this Christmas season I, I hope that you find encouragement that when God places dreams in your life, that even though they may seem impossible, He is the God of impossibility, and He makes things possible in your life. And, and so to continue, uh, excuse me, to continue with this ideal of impossibly possible, um, today I want us to look at opportunities. Um, and the truth is, many of you have probably been presented, at least in your past, but even maybe currently, are facing opportunities that may seem impossible or opportunities that you're doubtful about or even opportunities that seem kind of unconventional. But the Christmas story illustrates beautifully how God takes unconventional opportunities and brings amazing glory to Himself. Let's pray. God, thank You for who You are. God, we thank You for this Christmas season that we get to celebrate You putting on flesh and coming to earth and redeeming mankind. And, and God, help us to not take for granted the beauty of what this season is. And so as we enter into this time today, God, I ask that You... I got to speak to each and every person here, God, maybe the opportunities you've presented in their life are uncomfortable, or God, they are failing to see what you're trying to speak through this opportunity, but today, God, you would bring clarity to it, and God, today you would bring some kind of uh, comfort to the future. God, we just love you and thank you for what you're doing, and we give you glory in Christ's name, amen. I, I don't know about you, but uh, I've had opportunities where I've eagerly anticipated uh, opportunities. And when I was young in ministry, I just embraced opportunities to speak. Like I couldn't speak enough, right? I would have a little play microphone that would echo and I would speak to my family. You know, like I just, I just enjoyed speaking. And I still do, but early in ministry, I didn't, you know, you're just naive to everything. And so, so about six years ago, um, when I was doing youth ministry at Fort Rucker, there was a, there was a chaplain who came to me and he said, uh, hey, can you speak at this youth event coming up? And I was like, absolutely. And so all he gave me was the date and time and the name of the place I needed to be. And that was it. And, uh, and that's really all I needed. I was, I had enough excitement and I could do it. I knew how to do a youth message. So I was like, well, this is going to all work out great. And so, um, so as the date got closer, um, I was curious why a youth service would be scheduled on a Saturday morning, right? I, I thought, I've done some weird things. Maybe they're coming out of, uh, out of some kind of lock-in and they're all just going to be sleepy. Whatever the case is, I, I was preparing myself. And so that Saturday morning, as I drove up to the location, I quickly realized two things. One is that it was a Seventh-day Adventist church. And so it was actually going to be a church service and not necessarily a youth service. And then I realized, too, that it was an African-American church, and I was completely underdressed to be there. And so as we're driving up, you're seeing everybody, I mean, dressed in the best clothes you can imagine. And it's me, and I have a kid with me that's in youth. He's wearing shorts and a T-shirt, and I'm wearing jeans, a polo shirt, and I had thankfully brought a jacket to look somewhat dressy. And I remember feeling uncomfortable the whole time I was there. And I was like, this was a great opportunity, I thought. 
but it's uncomfortable as you see these people that are dressed up and you're trying to speak to them. But when I tell you that we had church that Sunday, or Saturday, excuse me, that we had church that Saturday, it was amazing. You know, and uh, if you've never spoken a black church, it's one of the most amazing experiences because you can't say nothing wrong. They're like, that's right. And I was like, I just said I need to get some water, but that is right. I do need to get some water. And they're like, they just kind of keep you going. And I remember leaving there, and as I was thinking about what had just taken place, in my mind I was going, I don't understand why the opportunity, but God, I'm so thankful that you put this opportunity in my life. You know, the Bible is filled with unconventional opportunities that led to some kind of miraculous outcome, right? So the, the one that maybe comes to your mind first is David and Goliath, right? If you remember, David had already been promised to be the king. God had already anointed him. Um, and so David is taking some things out to his brothers and to check on them. And when he gets there, he hears about this Philistine named Goliath who is a giant who is mocking God. And he gets fed up with it to the point that he can't even wear the armor. He's too small. But he decides he's going to go out there and make an example of this person who is mocking God. And so we have this picture of this really short, young teenage boy. And this really behemoth of a man uh, named Goliath. And when you looked at it, you go, this isn't the opportunity, David, for you to make a stand for God. But the reality is God chose an unconventional opportunity to make sure he got a glorious outcome. And so the Bible is filled with all these amazing opportunities that on the surface look like bad ideas, but we see God get glory at the end of them. When I think about the Christmas story, to me it presents some opportunities that have a miraculous outcome in the end. Um... If I was to kind of poll you and I said, hey, if a king was going to be born, how would you imagine it would be born, he would be born? You would begin to lay out these lavish plans. I mean, we just went through this, what, a few years ago when um, whatever the prince is, William, was having a baby. You, you remember like every paper and magazine covered it and it was breaking news on the TV. I mean, to me, this is what the celebration is when the king is born. And so when we look at the Christmas story, we see the opportunity for God to enter into the human race through, the, through Jesus. Uh, it's not quite the opportunity we imagine it to be, right? It's not this lavish celebration. And you have to remember, from the very beginning of time in Genesis 3.15, God had made a promise that one day he would redeem mankind. And so when we think about the details surrounding this promise, we think of it as this glorious celebration. And the reality is we read Luke chapter 2 and we find out it's the complete opposite of that. It's this quiet affair. Nobody really knows about what's taking place. And it's this humble beginning for a man that would change the whole world. And so today as we talk through this Christmas story, I want you to have this idea that God places opportunities in front of you that don't always present themselves the way you expect them to. And many times they're unconventional, but in the end, God does miraculous things through opportunities that we take advantage of. If you'll turn with me, we'll be in Luke chapter 2, and we'll read the first seven verses of Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We have two Gospels out of the four that present the Christmas story, and, uh, and Luke actually presents kind of the beginning part of the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. 
In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be, regist- uh, that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration of Quirinius uh, when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up to Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, there came a time for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the end. You know, the opportunity for the Savior to come into the world was not the way we envision a king making an entrance, right? We don't envision a king making his entrance with there being no fanfare celebration or anything like that. As a matter of fact, we find that at the initial birth of Jesus, there's actually only two people present, and it's Mary and Joseph. And then we find that in our world, if someone of royalty was going to be born, the best doctors in the world would be present to ensure nothing went wrong. And we find that there's actually no doctors present. Not even the worst doctor in town. I mean, there's no doctors present during this birth. And we, we find that instead of him being placed in some palace, he's actually placed in, in a location where they keep animals. Not only was he placed there, but he was put inside of the feeding trough of the animals because there was no room for the king of kings to be laid. And so we look at this story and it causes me to ask questions. Why would this opportunity be chosen for Christ to make his entrance into this world? And then if there's something to be learned here, then what do we learn about the opportunities that are placed before us in our own Christian walk? You know, the truth is that we set expectations that are unrealistic for opportunities that we have, right? Like, when I got married, I remember that there were opportun- there was um, expectations that I set as, as a part of marriage, right? There was opportunities I set when I started a job. There were opportunities I set when I had kids that they behaved, and I learned that that's not true. And so we set all these expectations for opportunities that God places in our life, and we quickly realize that we set those expectations, not God. And so we set these unrealistic expectations for opportunities. But what if God has chosen an unassuming and quiet opportunity to change your life? Uh, I want you to know that you're not at church today by any accident. That God has brought you here for this opportunity in this very moment. And today the opportunity has been given for you that there may be something going on in your life, but God wants to change that. And so when God prevents unconventional opportunities, or when God presents unconventional opportunities, what are they for? I want to talk about three things. Um, The first thing is, is God presents opportunities to nourish us. You know, uh, we talk about this when we look at the book of Revelation, that God puts nothing in the book of Revelation that, has, that, that is just there for words. Everything has some sort of meaning. And the same is true throughout the whole Bible. God doesn't list things in his holy word unless there's something that we should gather from that. 
And so I find it as no coincidence that Jesus was laid in a manger at his birth, right? I mean, we understand that. We sing away in a manger, right? We understand that the manger was a pretty significant part of the birth of our Savior. You know, a manger is this feeding trough for animals who are being housed at that location. And so animals kind of go to it for physical food. The symbolism of Jesus being placed in this feeding trough was that he was going to be the spiritual food for all mankind. And so it was no coincidence that Jesus was laid in a manger because the opportunity was presented to the human race that we could now find nourishment and we could find sustainability in Jesus Christ because God, Emmanuel, became one of us to feed us spiritual food. And so it's no coincidence when we look at the opportunity for the birth of Christ that we realize he was placed in a manger as an illustration that we need him to nourish our life. What seemed like an unconventional opportunity for a king's birth was really God's reminding us that he is the source of our nourishment, right? That apart from him, there is no strength in our life, and apart from him, there is no sustainability in our life, that only through him are those things found. Think about the opportunities that God has presented in your life, that it seemed like it was this unconventional, uncomfortable opportunity for no reason. You're like, God, why am I going through this? Or God, why have you put this in my path? But things don't happen for no reason at all. You know, Amber and I were driving through Tallahassee uh, two nights ago. And I like to call it driving through the valley of the shadow of death. Um, because Tallahassee is a terrible place, obviously. Um, and so we're driving through Tallahassee. And as we're driving, the closer we get to Tallahassee, the bigger this fireworks display is, right? And we're showing our kids in and I remember we actually drive directly beside where they're shooting the fireworks at. And if you've never been beside, it's, it's extremely loud. And, and, and one of my children uh, had mentioned about the noise and, and how loud it was. And, and I think it was Zeke. And he was like, have you ever heard anything like it before? And I was like, buddy, this is like war, right? You know, I went to my Vietnam speech. I was like, buddy, when I was in Nam, uh, the Charlies were trying to kill us. But... Uh, I was telling him about how loud it was, and I was like, man, I, I remember uh, that noise. As a matter of fact, when I hear fireworks, it kind of stirs some emotions inside of me that are, are really uncomfortable. And I can remember being 18 years old, being in Iraq, and looking at situations and going, God, I don't understand why you put this opportunity in front of me. Like, I understand that you did this, but I don't understand why you did this. And I can distinctly remember it when you're looking at the lifeless body of one of your buddies and you go, God, I don't know how or what you're going to teach me through this. Because all I really had was questions. Like, there was no answers being found in what I was facing. When somebody is shooting at you, you're not going, all right, God, I understand what you're doing now, right? Or when you're in the middle of some explosion and you're just trying to gather your thoughts about you, you're not saying, God, I understand this opportunity now. But a lot of times opportunities are best understood when we reflect back on them. And so I can remember as I came through that year, on the other side of it, I remember looking back and going, God, you brought me to this opportunity because you wanted to nourish me and you wanted to strengthen me. I had, some of the, I had the closest relationship with God in that time, right? Because death brings you close to God. Um, but we had some of the closest things because you didn't have television, you didn't have those things, and so you were forced to read books. And, and so I would read books, and I would... And, and I remember now as I reflect back on it, how much it developed me as a man, as a husband, as a father, even though I didn't have a wife and kids quite at that moment. I remember that God used that opportunity to nourish me even before I even knew what he was doing. 
You know, even in your own life, there's probably opportunities that you're facing right now that you may even not label, label them as opportunities. You may label them as circumstances or struggles. But God has placed that opportunity in your life because He is trying to nourish and prepare you for something down the road. If Jesus hadn't been laid in a manger, there would be no hope for redemption. Jesus had to take that opportunity to enter into our world. And if God didn't allow you to go through the opportunities, the struggles, the circumstances that you go through, there would never be any hope for him to nourish you so that you could face something even greater down the road. We look at opportunities and we go, God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show me? And the whole time God is trying to nourish you and strengthen you because he has greater things in store for you. And with greater things comes greater struggles. And so if God can't begin to prepare you where you are now, you'll never be able to sustain you when you go through the things in the future. You know, we sing one of the most popular Christmas songs we'll sing during the season of Silent Night. And we have this picture, and I believe it's an accurate picture, of the birth of Jesus and it being such a silent night in the earth because there was no fanfare taking place. There wasn't a crowd of family members around as they celebrated his birth. It was quiet, and there was just, just two people present. And it was a silent night on earth. But when we read the flip side of it, we read about the celebration that takes place in heaven. As the angels rejoice because God has come to redeem mankind. As they had watched for thousands of years as man had drifted further and further away from God. And in celebration, he had come down to redeem mankind. And a silent night on earth was a joyous celebration in heaven. And I think about when we go through circumstances and we go through struggles, it really feels like in that moment, God is the quietest he's ever been, right? You're like, God, I, when I need you to speak to me, you're not speaking. But what I've come to realize is God speaks the loudest in our circumstances through our circumstances. That God speaks the loudest to our opportunities through our opportunities. And so if you're here today and you're facing some struggle, some circumstance, or what I like to coin it, some opportunity, know this, that God may seem silent to you on the surface, but God is screaming loudly to you through what you're facing. He wants to nourish you. He wants to strengthen you. And he wants you to understand that being laid in a manger is not some happenstance thing. That what you're going through is actually preparation for something greater he has in your life. God uses opportunities to feed and nourish you. And the manger is the humble reminder of that this Christmas season. The second thing is, is God presents locations, excuse me, God presents location opportunities to speak to your future. Um, I, I love watching um, home makeover shows, uh, realty shows. You know, they're, they're pretty fun. And a lot of times you watch it because you know it's something that will never happen to you. You're like, man, that's great. It will never happen to me, but that's great, you know. And, and so Amber and I enjoy watching these shows. But you'll hear a lot of times in anything that has to do with realty, what the key thing is location, 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 right? And, the, and that's a spiritual principle that's true too, that when, when, Christ, when we follow Christ, he puts us in locations that we best minister for him. But he also puts us in locations where he can best minister to us. And even when the location and the opportunity seems absolutely crazy, we trust that through location, 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 the opportunity is doing something towards our future. You know, we, we read about this town that Jesus is born in, Bethlehem. Um, and, and we really 
hear nothing about it other than we see it tied in with David. So we understand that this is the city of David. Uh, we understand it with Jesus, but we really don't know much more about it, right? We, we understand it in those terms, and that's about the just of what we know about Bethlehem. But Bethlehem, to be used for this, there has to be some meaning to it, right? Like, that's not just some random city that God threw a dart at and Jesus was born in, and that's how it unfolded, right? There has to be some meaning to it. You know, the Romans who ruled at this time, uh, they were big on taxation, right? They were big on it. Uh, as a matter of fact, they would call a census from time to time, not because they wanted to receive your taxes, because they wanted to see what you had so they could see if they could get more from you. And so in this very moment, they have called uh, a census so they can see how many people they have, what they have, and see if they can't get more stuff from these people. And so even though the Jewish tradition wasn't this, what the Romans had the expectation was that each person would go back to the place of their ancestors. And being that Joseph traced his lineage all the way back to David, Bethlehem was the place that he was to go to report for a census. And now David, we read, I mean, excuse me, Joseph, we read this word that he was betrothed to Mary, which simply means that they're engaged. Uh, and so the, all the obligations of marriage, they were living except for one part. And there's kids in here, so it's three-letter word. And so, so they had the full um, complement of marriage except for one area. And, and so when, they, uh, excuse me, when he had to go back to Bethlehem, he had to take Mary with him because she was, in many cases, considered to be at least his fiance and soon-to-be bride. And so they make this journey back. And, and they get ready to face this stuff. And somewhere along the way, um, Mary has Jesus and they lay him in this manger in Bethlehem. And so we ask the question of, of why this quiet, unassuming small town would Jesus choose this as the place of his birth? Uh, you know, it was located about five and a half miles from Jerusalem, this massive city that was known for um, the wealth of, Jer uh, of the Jewish people. It was known for the religious uh, sect of Jew Jewish people, and it was the historic capital of Israel. And so why? Why Bethlehem? Jesus was born in Bethlehem rather than Jerusalem. It's because God enters our lives through the back, through the back door and not through these well-developed parts of ourselves, our ego. That God chooses the quiet, unassuming areas of our life to enter into our very life. Right? In our ego, we tend to push Christ away. I can do this on my own. I don't need no one to help me. I got this. But it's in our unconscious state where we realize that and many times we're a failure and we miss the mark. And it's where Christ makes his entry into this quiet, unassuming area of our life. And he makes his entry into that. Jesus was born in Bethlehem to illustrate symbolically that God finds his way into our lives by incarnating unexpectedly in the devalued parts of ourselves. God uses that location to change our future. And that's illustrated in the Christmas story. God used an opportunity in a small town to change the whole world. And it's no accident that you're in the location that you are today. Not just physically here. I'm talking about in the relationship you're in, in the job that you're in, in the future retirement that you're getting ready to face, that God has put these opportunities in that location distinctly in your life for something He wants to do in your future. 
God has something incredible to accomplish in your life and to alter your future and to alter the future of those around you. Your opportunities are more than just promotions and money, uh, but they're chances to change the future. Chances to have your future change from darkness to light. To chances to impact someone that needs to know that the hope you harbor is the hope they can establish themselves. That God has put you in the location and the place that you are because he has something incredible for your future. So why quiet, unassuming town of Bethlehem? Because God is going to use your location to change the world. If I didn't believe it, I wouldn't say it. Right? When we talk about what we do for missions, when I say 30 kids, and the, re- the reality is, is that's not a lot of kids. Um, but if I've shared this story before, just pretend like it's the first time you heard it. Um, there was this young boy, and he was, uh, excuse me, this older man, he was walking the beach shore, and he would pick up a starfish as they were all over. The tide had pushed them on the beach, and he would throw them in. And he would throw them in. And there was no way he was going to get to the end of them before many of them began to die. And so this young boy is watching from a distance and he said, why are you doing that? Because there's no way that you're going to make a difference in this massive amount of starfish that have washed up on the shore. And the old man picked one up and he threw one. He said, I made a difference in that one's life. And I made a di- when I look at missions, I don't look at it as how many people can we impact so we can tell everybody. To me, I look at that one kid And I say, we've impacted that kid's life. When you think about the location God has you in, it may not be to stand in front of 10,000 people to share the hope of Christ. It may be to look that person in the eye that you sit by each and every day at your office and to go, I just want you to know that God loves you. And you've impacted that person's life. God has you at the location you're at because he has something he wants to do in your future. God brought Jesus to Bethlehem, the quiet, unassuming town, because he wanted to change the whole world. And God can do the same thing through you if you submit to him in obedience and understand that God is using you to change the future. Lastly, I want to say that God presents opportunities to clothe you in righteousness. And we read that Jesus was wrapped in swaddling clothes and he was laid in a manger. And we kind of gloss over that every time we read it or if we sing about it or if we do an interpretive dance about it, whatever the case may be, we kind of gloss over the reality that he was wrapped in swaddling clothes, and then he was placed in a manger. On the surface, we kind of picture Jesus being rolled up like a burrito baby that we see come out of the, uh, the maternity ward when we go to the hospital, right? That they're wrapped up really tight. And, and to me, that's how I envision Jesus, is that they, she just wrapped him in some kind of blanket and she placed him in there. And then on the other hand, I look at it and go, is the details really important that he was wrapped in swaddling clothes? I mean, we understand that he wasn't naked, right? Like, we don't see naked baby Jesus in any of our nativity scenes because we all understand that he wasn't naked, right? But uh, you have to understand what this meant in the time of the Jewish people. Uh, Babies born then didn't have diapers like we have today, right? They didn't have disposable huggies that the baby used them and they threw them out and they got them in another pair, right? So they didn't have diapers. As a matter of fact, babies did actually run around naked, Right? It was just too expensive to try to clothe them with something that they were going to ruin. However, wealthy babies were wrapped in swaddling clothes. They would take some fine linen and they would cut it into strips and they would wrap it like a diaper on a baby and that would be to cover his parts up and, and, and really it was a, a sign of wealth that we had enough wealth that we could take the excess cloth we have and even put it on our baby who's going to destroy it. And so we look at this picture, right? Uh, it was, it's apparent that Mary and Joseph, who didn't have anything, 
uh, were given these linens somewhere along their journey uh, before the birth of Jesus. And so you look at this picture, and I can imagine the shepherds who are one of the first ones on the scene, when they walk in, they look in a feeding trough, which tells them that this family has nothing. Uh, but in the feeding trough is a child who's dressed like a king. All right? And you're looking at it going, why would this happen? But we see two opposites here, right? One is that Jesus came to feed us, to be our nourishment. He's why he's in the thing. But he was wrapped in swaddling clothes to remind us that he was still the king. Right? And we have this beautiful story that illustrates perfectly what's taking place. And it's actually in Ezekiel chapter 16. And it's going to show us the symbolism of what's taking place. Now this story isn't about Jesus. It's actually just about an illustration of this. But I want to read it to you. It's Ezekiel 16.4. And as for your birth... On the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. No, I pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, but you were cast out in the open, for you were abhorred on the day you were born. And when I passed you and saw your wallowing in your blood, I said to your uh, blood, live. And I said, in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field, and you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness, and I, I made a vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water, and I washed off your blood, from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and showed you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. Now don't read that story before you get ready to eat breakfast in the morning. It's kind of disgusting. But what, what it's trying to speak to is the abandonment that we have because of sin at our birth. And that from birth we're cast out on our own. And we're trying to figure life out. And this is God watching us and he's going just live. Just live. That's all I want you to do is just live. And finally we reach an age where we have the opportunity to make a decision to follow our creator. And so what this story is, is about the adoption of God. That we're born without any swaddling clothes, no one to care for us, we're naked and abandoned, and there's no one in the world who loves us like we need to be loved. And then all of a sudden we begin to put things together. And we realize that there is someone who created me who does love me. And in our brokenness and in our shame and our pity, we look to the heavens and we cry out to God and he wraps us now in swaddling clothes, which is a symbol of adoption, that he recognizes us as his very own child and heir. This Christmas season, what you need to know is the greatest hope that you can ever experience is to see that baby lying in a manger in a nativity scene and know that baby grew up and became a man. And that man died on the cross for your sins. And that through his death, we were afforded the opportunity of adoption. That even though we failed as human beings, he loves us, justifies our past, reconciles us to him, and calls us to be the very heir of his great fortune and kingdom. That's what the Christmas season is about. I enjoy getting presents. I enjoy the celebration with family. But the greatest hope that we have in the Christmas season is that God loved us so much that he sent his very own son that 
Even though we were lost in our sins, He died for us. And that through His death and our acceptance of Him as our Savior, we can have eternal life. That was the greatest opportunity ever presented to mankind. As we look and we go, it makes no sense why you would place him in a manger. It makes no sense why you would give him the opportunity to be born in Bethlehem. It makes no sense why the opportunity to be wrapped in cloths was placed before him. But we see all of this as an understanding is that God wants to use our opportunities to nourish us. That God wants to use our location and opportunities there to alter the future. And God wants to use the opportunity of our brokenness to wrap us in the clothes of righteousness and to say, you are mine. That despite what you think about love and hope, I don't care what your outlook are, you are mine and I am yours. Today you face opportunities and circumstances and struggles and, and triumphs and all these different adjectives of things that you're going through. But I can tell you this, that what you do with the opportunities to find the success that you're going to have in your future. If you believe opportunities are put before you to nourish you, to strengthen you, to alter your future, and for God to clothe you in righteousness, one day you'll stand victorious before the throne. But if you believe everything is some kind of punishment sent from God to condemn you for something you did in your past, you've lost the focus of what's taking place. God loves you so much that this Christmas season, he wants you to come back to him. And he's given you the greatest opportunity this morning to come sit in Gully Springs Baptist Church in a small, quiet town to have your future altered for all of the, uh, for all the remainder of your life. And that today in this small, quiet church, you can have interaction with our Savior. He can wrap you in clothes and he begins to strengthen you and nourish you for the remainder of your life. God, we're so thankful for this Christmas story that you put opportunities in front of us. And God, even when opportunities feel like punishment, we know that you're teaching, you're growing, and you're changing our lives. And God, undoubtedly today, you have brought people here who have struggles and circumstances in their life. And God, you, and you know that these are opportunities to grow them, to nourish them, God, to alter their future. And the most important thing that you want to do today is to take this opportunity of salvation and adopt them and wrap them in your clothes and let them know that you love them more than anything in this world. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you that chance this morning. If you're here and you go, I've never experienced this, how uh, I see it in the Bible. I've never had the opportunity to surrender my life to Christ. If, if that's you, I want you to take advantage of that opportunity this morning by coming forward and hitting your knees and saying, God, I want to be adopted by you. I want you to clothe me in righteousness. I want you to nourish me in my life. And I want you to alter my future because I want reconciliation with you in the future. If that's you, I invite you to come forward to make this Christmas season one that you'll never forget, to make this Christmas season the fulfillment of what it's all about, which is reconciliation with mankind. The altar is open for you this morning.